Hub Hopper Originals. We are a born free and equal, free to walk and free to talk. Don't discriminate, learn to appreciate, so you don't have to imitate. Don't be the one to hate, it's never too late. You got the right to life, innocent to prove and guilty, you can say what you like. Gotta get the education, don't throw it away, know your human rights, cause it can help you someday. Welcome to the Born Free and Equal podcast with United for Human Rights and Hub Hopper. I'm your host, Fraser Scott, International Ambassador of United for Human Rights, feeling somewhat like an unlocked bear coming out of hibernation, poking my head out of my cave for the first time in three months, realizing I've run out of honey have put on a few kilos and have a strong urge to mm, rub my back against every tree I see. But better than any fresh pot of honey, on today's show we have Filmfare nominated, National Award winning, writer and director of critically acclaimed films Amu, Margarita with a Straw, and most recently, the Priyanka Chopra and Farron actor starring, beautifully made, heart-touching film, The Sky is Pink. Welcome to the phenomenal Shanali Bo! Welcome, Shanali. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's nice to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's also my pleasure to introduce the South Asia ambassador, for United for Human Rights, who was awarded the Hero Award at the United Nations in New York, and as an actress, has played the lead in seven films, two of them, Shanali, as I know you're originally from Calcutta, with Buddha Deb Dasgupta, Sheena Chohan! Thank you, Fraser, and thank you, Shanali, for being with us. When I told my mother that you were coming on the show, she said that you were also from the Lawrence School Sanar, which is where I did my studies. And I also grew up in Kolkata, where you were born. So not only am I thrilled to listen to your words of inspiration, motivation, and activism about human rights, but I think it will be like a slice of home to be talking with someone who's originally from Bengal. Khub bhalo. Amazing. <laughs> Wonderful. So let's get down to business about your chosen right. One that could not be more relevant today, which is workers' right. The world's most widely agreed on human rights document, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 23, Workers' Rights states, number one, everyone has the right to work, to free choice of employment, to just and favorable conditions of work, and to protection against unemployment. 
Number two, everyone without any discrimination has the right to equal pay for equal work. Number three, everyone who works has the right to just and favorable pay ensuring for himself and his family an existence worthy of human dignity and supplemented if necessary by other means of social protection. And number four, everyone has the right to form and join trade unions for the protection of his interests. Shunali, why did you choose this right? You know, Tina was talking about how I've been born in Kolkata. And from the time that I was able to speak, like two, three years old, I was always shouting, Lenin Mama Zindabad, uh, Lenin Mama Zindabad. <laughs> I was raised by my mashi, Brinda Karat, a communist. And I think that, that I just grew up understanding how important it was for workers to have rights. My father, who later became a sannyasi, a shonnashi, I had deep compassion also for the poor. So another thing we did in Kolkata was um, going and feeding the poor. And anybody who worked in our house always had equal status. So it was just something ingrained in me from childhood. And I think just um, growing up and just feeling the acute inequality and difference of class, like feeling my class privilege, that I could go to a proper school, that I didn't have to worry about food on the table, that I could go to Fleury's restaurant and get a cake and there are all these beggars outside. It always really broke my heart, like the acute class differences, which in America, uh, I was able to sort of shut my eyes to unless you're in New York City when you really can't. But in most parts of America, it's invisible. It's hidden. But in India, it's not. And I think I've always been very acutely aware of it. And that's why I chose this right. Wonderful. It's so true. I mean, if you can't work, you can't eat. And with a 1.4 billion mouths to feed, there's lots of work to do. Yeah, and, and that's just about feeding mouths. What about really living, growing, evolving, truly nourishing and fulfilling ourselves? I mean, surely for the vast majority of the country, that privilege can't even be dreamt of until this basic right is actually cared for. Absolutely, right. Article 41 of the Indian Constitution says that the state shall provide for the right to work, education, public assistance in cases of unemployment, old age, sickness, disability and other cases of unfair conditions. But well, this is just on a paper. The The real game is how do we bring this to life? Yeah, yeah. also another reason why I chose this right right now specifically because you had a wonderful list of you know rights and one cares about so many of the rights. I think mm. what COVID-19 has done is really brought starkly mm. to the forefront what the tragedy of uh, the working class is, not just in India, but also uh, world over. Uh, for me, two countries that I belong to and, and feel strongly about are the US and India. So just speaking about them for a moment, if we even look in the United States, the majority of people who are getting COVID are the working class. And there you find an intersection of class and race. Blacks and Latinos are getting it in much bigger ways because they are on the front line. They are the workers, the food processing and meat plants, which could not be shut down from day one, where they don't have equipment and they are suffering, right? Or the delivery people. So, uh, right. and just thousands and thousands, millions, of course, going into unemployment, not being able to access government money like it's a huge huge tragedy leave alone future of what debt people will get into with health in our own country of course i don't have to say anything everybody's reading the stories what's amazing is that it is so much in the forefront that that's one good thing that 
you know, the media has kept it alive and in the forefront and nobody can escape knowing the uh, terrible, tragic plight of migrant laborers, working class people in our country. So that's also another reason I chose this, right? Because it's really COVID-19 brought it to the forefront. What the majority of people suffer on a day-to-day basis and what we, the minority, usually have blinkers on about. Yeah, there's no escaping it. And we're all sitting uh, without anywhere to go. So there's nothing we can look at apart from that, which is good. We need our noses rubbed in it. So, Shanali, what are the major issues facing the country today regarding workers' rights? In this present moment, of course, I mean, we have a severe situation just handling the lockdown, where even though it's been promised for such a long time that it's been six weeks talking about getting migrant workers back to their homes because that's where they have safety and security because they have their little bits of land and everybody wants to be home and safe because they don't have housing here or food. And in spite of that, like we're still having a situation where people are putting out videos, which I'm sure you all have also seen, where they are unable to get these trains, where they are unable and they're still walking. So right now we are facing, of course, uh, and here we're talking lakhs. We're talking lakhs and lakhs of workers. We're not just talking hundreds of people, right? So right now we're facing that. But I think the issue in our country, really, if you just take a step back and look at, we are in the state of Maharashtra, look at the number of farmer suicides. You look at the fact that, you know, livelihood is not a guaranteed right. The right to livelihood, that every person should have the basic means of existence. And I agree with Sheena. If you, without the basic needs, where can you even reach a place where you can actually live like a human being, where you can listen to music or watch films or be somebody? Like here you're struggling on a day-to-day basis just to feed hungry mouths, right? And it's often just put on population in our country, which really enrages me. You said it very well right now, Fraser, very quickly by saying like it's that many people to work. It's more hands to work, not more mouths to feed. Right, like work right. can be given. So this is entirely because we live in a world in in global economies which are around serving the privileged minority, the ruling elite, the rich. We run for profit. We do not run for the well-being of people. And I think the wake-up call of COVID is that how this planet needs to change so that it is centered around the well-being of people. And the well-being, one of the key well-beings, is the right to livelihood. Wow, that's so inspiring. That's one of the main reasons and the purposes of our show, which is, of course, to create awareness. Workers' right is is a basic fundamental set of rights. And to ensure that the people who actually support the entire country's economy through their production are protected and covered adequately is so important. And we forget that. And, and you're right that this is the time and it's it's on our faces. It's The issues are hitting our, us and we're kind of looking at what is really there and conf- you know, we need to confront it. Yeah, You know, I'll I'll tell you about a film that you all are not aware of uh, that I did because it was my thesis film. And, you know, I I was actually just had my second baby at the time. I was pregnant, actually. I was eight months pregnant. And I made this film called Lifting the Veil. And it was made in the context of the 50th anniversary of uh, our liberation from British rule. And um, so I was very keen that that documentary film be screened in India in the 50th anniversary year, which was 1997. And my, my lawyer, I remember, said that, just give birth to the baby here. Let him be born a U.S. citizen and then go. And I was like, no, it's more important that I screen my film in the 50th anniversary. <laughs> so I traveled to India when I was eight months pregnant to show my film. Now, that film, Lifting the Veil, 
was it, it was not actually about women of the veil. It was lifting the veil on the the fact that this economy, who does it run for and whose interest is it? So basically, in 1991, India started the program of liberalization and privatization. And at that time, the entire hype was that this was going to be marvelous for the Indian economy and for India, everybody. And that film that I shot was uh, interviews cut between like industrialists, capitalists, as well as workers uh, in Delhi, in, in, in Boston, mm, and, wow. and in Calcutta. And it was also an eye-opener for me. So it lifted the veil, certainly, on what was a complete lie to, to the country that this is going to be wonderful for us. And that was now 1997. We are now 2020. That time, all these people, top people, Chidambaram, Jairam Ramesh, Billa, lots of people who I spoke with, I had access to a lot of really top people, all kept saying, well, it's going to trickle down. You see, it's going to be fantastic mm. for our workers. It's going to trickle down. And, and that's, of course, the irony, which I knew, but that's just an economic theory to say, hello, it's not going to trickle down. The rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. And oh my God, how much that has happened in the in the passage of time, like in a really, really even sharper way than it was, even sharper way. Yes, the trickle down has been tiny compared with the the gush up. You know, the gush up is phenomenal. And um, you look at these glass towers to represent that. And the trickle down is is so tiny that these people have nothing. Yeah. And one speaking of the glass tower, so one section of people who I shot at that time in 97 were mill workers. So at that time, we still didn't have Phoenix mills and all. Like today, we say Phoenix mills and we mean we're going to go party, right? We don't mean the literally mills. But at that yeah. time, it, this hadn't, it hadn't been built, right? Uh, the mills were still almost shutting down, but still somewhat operational. So I went mm. to the mills and shot in the mills and I interviewed all these mill workers. And that is this is one of the most thriving industries of the city. This, the mill industry, the textile workers industry is what has really, it was called Girigao, has really led to Bombay thriving and being a major economy, major financial center. And because of a major strike that the workers put up, and it's always blamed on the workers that because they had a year and a half strike, the mill workers had to shut down. They didn't give in to a single thing. They were asking for a pay raise. And they didn't give in to a single thing. That's why the strike went on and the blame is put on the workers. But at that time, I remember speaking to these workers and just feeling their hearts and them saying that we've been here, our fathers have been here, like we've been mill workers and there's huge profits from mills. And, and why can't we just lead, lead decent lives? And today, when we just go to Bombay Canteen, you know, my favorite restaurant, like I am from the upper class, I go to Bombay Canteen. And then I remember that I've walked this place in 97 and interviewed these people who were just wanting a decent livelihood and their whole livelihood was shut down and they had to go back to rural India or remain here as construction workers, as the unorganized sector from being in very strong trade unions. And that was heartbreaking personally. I mean, just that because you said the juxtaposition and, you know, I lived that juxtaposition, you know, personally, I've, I've seen what was and what it is today. That's a very powerful story and very moving as well. Shanali, I read that you got into film as the best way to express your activism and you definitely live up to your reputation. <laughs> as an artist, your heart has to be so wide open and what else can you do but really feel these people's pains? Well, there are things we can do and that's what we are here to discuss. Per survey, the one thing people most agree on that can be done to help with human rights is increase awareness. So let's 
read another clause from the constitution article 43 says that the state shall try to ensure a pay that people can survive on conditions of work providing a decent standard of living and full enjoyment of their time off and social and cultural opportunities now that's a big statement not just a living pay ensuring a decent standard of living but full enjoyment of time off cultural and you know social opportunities for all that's a lot yeah that's the constitution and of course, none of this is upheld because even just the basic <sighs> minimum wage is not guaranteed right now yeah 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 So Chanali why is it important people are aware of and stand up for this right Let's let's look at something that was overthrown in 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 our lifetime which is well not in our lifetime but earlier like slavery in the United States where it felt impossible that something as tr- retrenched in the society as slavery could ever be overthrown but it was right so it, it how does struggle mm. happen how do movements happen how do people's movements happen only a people's movement and an uprising can overthrow entrenched systems uh, entrenched powerful economic and political systems and so how can you have a people's movement if you don't have awareness if people don't even have the consciousness of what is right and wrong because something may mm. not be in front of your own eyes those who feel the oppression of course they know it and they stand up but there's a huge number of us in the middle classes and if we don't if we don't give our support and we don't join in and we keep voting in the same bankrupt politicians who are are completely against the well-being of people and society then really are we going to have change so i think it's so important what you're doing and that's where one is as a filmmaker sort of on this path that what 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 can one do when one is in in this upper class what you can do is keep discussing engaging standing and giving your support to those who are out there on the front line fighting they will have the strikes they will stand up and support but you need to not oppose that you need to understand their situation and have empathy and compassion that they are not as privileged as you are wow thank you for acknowledging it uh, because yes it's our purpose to create this awareness and as well as supporting what we're doing because this is how we engage and create a dialogue and that's how you begin with change right that's <laughs> change begins with us there's so much to do for so many people but it's not like we're starting from zero let's look at what has already been done since the constitution was written so many laws have been passed that give us workers right it may surprise people to know that these laws exist for example the factories act which lays down provisions for health safety welfare working hours and leaves of workers then you have the minimum wage act which fixes minimum wage rates working hours and breaks there should be at least one holiday a week then the payment of wages act insists on timely payment of pay to the employee without unlawful deductions and the wage pay period should not exceed a period of one month shanali we're talking about just observing what is going on around us when i travel from pune to bombay or bombay to pune even on the highway let's take a simple example of this right being violated and people not being aware you see these workers on the road with their hammers and that's one of the most accident prone highways and they're there right in the middle and no there's no safety nothing they're doing their work and probably cleaning or the gutters or probably just using a hammer to do and there is no safety of life and the people are going up and down zooming up and down but i mean is anything really being done about it and you know so talking about safety that's one thing to really observe what's going on around us yeah and while all these things are in the constitution the fact of, of the matter is as we're saying that they're not actually upheld right but it is wonderful that they're there and why are they there they're there as an outcome of decades and decades of people struggles it's people struggles that have actually forced 
those who are politicians and thinkers to put these things down. Whether it's a women's movement, workers' movement, peasants' movement, it is because of people's movements that you actually have rights and rights are enshrined in the constitution. But how do we enforce that they are upheld? One of the dangers what's going to happen coming out of COVID is uh, across the globe is that governments are going to use the situation of this crisis to take down even more rights. There's already a lot of talk about when now the economy that okay then you can't have this right and you can't have that right like it's, it's it's actually a worrying situation where human rights activists trade unionists have to sort of really be super more even more aware than before of the attack that's going to take place on rights yes that's right it's happening already and another point is if people are not aware of their rights unorganized workers often have no idea that's how you get into bonded labor because People are not aware of the scams and the schemes that criminals come up with. So people in villages need to know that if they're offered some scam where they're told, oh, well, we're going to pay you in a year. You never go for something like that because that's how you end up becoming trapped and not being able to leave that employer. And that's why awareness is so important, basically. If you don't know your rights, Sonali, how do you stop it from being violated? That comes down to education and awareness. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, we're definitely on the same page about awareness. So what can be done to realistically make this right a fact? Well, the thing is that people's struggles are not going to stop because ultimately it's not you or I. It is when the people who are affected the most and they rise up so what happens all the time is that they're diverted or they're just so crushed that people can't rise and protest. And, and that is why you continue to have the status quo. So what can you and I do? You and I can write and talk and engage and keep discussing and keeping it at center stage. Because what is going to happen is right now it's in our faces, right? Because nobody can escape what's happening to migrant workers in our country right now. They've been killed on train tracks, which they should have been on the train rather than being killed on train tracks. How can any of us escape it or sleep at night? So nobody, no politician, nobody can escape it right now. So it's in our face. But let's go back to a time when life moves on and it's not in our face. And all our domestic staff are back in our homes. And we're not cribbing about the fact that we have to do the jharu pocha and we have to do everything. And you crib about your domestic health when they're there. Now they're not there and you realize you know, what your, your day is like. And, and so when all this goes back to normal, what is going to happen is this is again going to become invisibilized. Because the working class of this country are invisibilized. They don't have the voice. They can go out there and strike, etc., but they don't have the voice. We are part of the system that has the voice. So the important thing is that we don't lose sight of the fact, not just of workers' rights, but other rights as well, that we keep this front and center stage. Keeping human rights, overall human rights, of the planet and of human beings at the front and center stage is the most important thing that we can do. Wow. Yes, couldn't agree more with that. And people like you, no one has a voice like film. So thank you so much for being here. And I have a question because I was reading today about Ambeka, that when his party first ran in Bombay, as soon as he came in on the back of workers' rights, he won 15 out of 17 seats. So why is that not the case today? Why don't the people just vote for the people that ensure that they have rights? Because which political party is ensuring that? Like, there's hardly anyone, you know. Yes, Kerala made some headway when the CPM were in power. So you have the highest literacy there and you have 
better workers situation in Kerala and even how they've handled COVID. But which political party? There is no political party. They all exist under whichever banner they are, under whatever ideology are, they all exist to serve the ruling elite, the super rich of this country. So what's going to happen is that bailouts are going to go by whether it's the US administration or the Indian. Big bailouts are going to go to the airlines or to banks or top business houses are going to be bailed out. They always are bailed out by the government. Ordinary workers, they're talking about whether they'll be given 700 rupees or 800 rupees or give a sack of grain. This much chaos is existing and just giving them something basic, right? But money exists in our country, power exists, and it doesn't matter which opposition party comes in. So it's only when we have a really massive change that you bring in a party that is accountable. We have a system also where there's no accountability. Once in five years, like just some cattle, you put in a vote for whether the Republicans or the Democrats or the Congress or the BJP. And what changes? Nothing changes. You're powerless. So you have to change the entire system. You can't have a system in which your vote doesn't matter who you bring into power. So people feel cynical. People feel helpless. Today's youth feel helpless. They're like, what should we do? Because nobody believes in politics. But only politics is the answer, right? So it's only when people like Ambedkar, etc. will go out there and you have a sense of accountability like we sort of felt with the Aam Party, but that failed us too. But you have to have parties that are accountable to people. So you, so you say that from my area, I will vote for you, Sheena, because you live in my area in Varsova. I know you. I'm going to vote for you. And when you stand up there and you don't fulfill your promises, I have the right to bring you down. No election without selection. Who selects candidates? Political parties do. But actually, mohallas, the whole country should be divided into mohallas. Mohallas should choose and put forth their own candidates because people from an area know the problems of the people in their area. They will solve the problems of water. They will solve the problems of food, right? So these changes you need in the in democracy. Like this parliamentary system of democracy that has come down from the British from the 17th, 18th century, it is designed to ensure that power does not go into the hands of the people, that power remains between the ruling elite, one uh, party or the other. It doesn't matter, right? We all know that. It's ABC now. This is not some leftist uh, talk. This is the basic truth. We all know that. The entire youth knows that. But the problem is that these parties who own the media, who do everything, have the power to just make us feel helpless. And that's why it's important that organizations such as yours are important, that the youth who are the future of this country don't feel helpless, that they feel that it's important, that they're not cynical, that they're not disengaged from society, that they think about the well-being of society, about their own futures, and they can only do that by engaging and bringing down the whole system, questioning every single politician and political party. And through education, to get another Ambeka, you need highly educated people to be able to take on the people who are in power. Education is a very powerful weapon to change the world. If the workers, given the tools, education-wise, if they can speak the same language as the, the politicians from Eton, then they can take them on. That it's that, That's how Mbeka was able to do what he was able to do because he was such a genius. He was, you know, he was literally a genius. So we, we need more geniuses from the working class. So, Shanali, I'd like to take a look at what is a violation of workers' rights. Number one, 
when a person is terminated from his job against the terms of his employment number 2 when a person is terminated from his job in violation of existing laws number 3 when a person is not employed based on discrimination and number 4 when a person is stopped from earning a living in a way that goes against the law right so shanali Do you have any stories from your life in film or activism that illustrate a violation of workers' rights? When I was making lifting the veil, I had gone into a factory and I was speaking with the owner of that factory and I asked him is it possible that we have some of the workers come and sit here with us and very politely ask you some questions and ask them like can we can we have a dialogue so that we can hear both points of view? and they were like absolutely not there is no question of me speaking with anybody of my workers now this is not i'm not talking about a violation of a right necessarily that's not the violation of a right but i i would just like that is just so basic that you're the owner of a factory which is making its wealth from the labor of these people who you're grinding into misery because you're paying them peanuts and you won't even agree to dialogue with them so basically in a way the violation is that they don't even acknowledge because these are unorganized factories that they have the right to unionize so this was i'm talking about a situation where there's no trade unions here and where the workers just want to be able to go and dialogue they don't have they're not in a union if they're in a union there's a different whole system so the guy wasn't even willing to dialogue with his workers mm. it's just so telling where there's a complete lack of empathy a smallest thing in terms of like what i experienced when i came to make my first film amu in terms of how film shoots uh, happened which was shocking for me and i was the producer of my own film and so i immediately said no question of this which is that on a film set there's also a deep hierarchy and the uh, production manager who basically is in charge of organizing things like your catering etc said to me that there's a a class uh, food and there's a b class food i said what does that mean a class food and b class food he said mm. the actors and the directors and the hods heads of department they get the a class menu and the others who are really like say workers on a film set they are the people who are the workers so they are not the director of photography they are the small camera guy right not even the yeah. assistant camera but the lower down camera guy the basic people who are doing all the bulk labor work they are given a different food and i was like absolutely not and this is on a shoestring budget barely any money to make my very first feature film and even to this date when i meet any of those people some of them are in andhra pradesh and all they remember they were like ma'am what food you gave us because i made sure that there was top quality food uh, for everybody and no distinction that everybody stood in the same line and got their food didn't matter that whether you're the star or whether you're the spot boy the system called spots this i find a fascinating thing of the indian film industry so i said what is i i i i thought it was a guy who's going to shine the light like a spotlight that's what i thought okay i i uh-huh. i was in ucl film school and i've never been on an indian film set and i just came to make my first movie in this naive fashion and then they were like i said i they they said you have your own spot boy ma'am i said what do you mean you'll be shining a light on my head they said no no you'll see that this person will be indispensable to you and then when i realized what it was that i don't have to move to get my own cup of tea that somebody is going to just constantly hand me water tea anything i want and i was like i this if you coming from the west i mean this is just absurd mm. such an indian mm. thing where somebody will sit in their living room and say geeta ek glass pani leke aao 
Like people don't get up to go to their bloody kitchen and get their own glass of water, yes. right? This is the Indian yes. class for you. And so I was like, oh my God, you can go get your own cup of coffee. <laughs> right? I yes. I could not beat that system. All I could say is, look, and I till to till the skies because like I do not need to be assigned my own personal spot, but I could not do away with it because I guess it's I can all I can do when I'm the producer is to ensure that they have decent hours of work. That they're not working usually seventeen hours because that's usually the case when the film set wraps because they are the first people there. So they may go at four a.m. and you're going at seven a.m. and you may leave at ten p.m. and they're there till one a.m. So all I could ensure is that they have, this, you know, decent hours because I look out for these things. But Great. that's something that I discovered on a film set. Well, that's leading by example. That is actually at least that one film set operated according to how life should be. Yeah, and you know, speaking of standing up for the rights of workers, did you see Shanali, like Mr. Amitabh Bachchan's initiative that's feeding one lakh daily wage earners of the film industry? I mean, isn't it wonderful that our community is coming together with such a big heart? I I must say that the whole film industry has been really aware and and uh, deeply impacted by the rights. What's happening to migrant laborers? Like, there's so many NGOs I was raising money for, and people are just giving, and they just feel helpless and feel like. This is wrong, and and that's wonderful to see that. That's one of the positive things of this time period is how the middle and upper classes have been aware and just giving their hearts and feeling like no, this is this is wrong. We have to do something. Coming to help, yeah. Which NGOs do you like? Which which are good ones? You know, let's not get into names of you know. I think anybody who's doing anything to to organize and help people is, is wonderful. Great. So the main reason why we are here is to initiate, inspire people to help do what they can in their own field. Okay, Shanali, you've passed with top marks with the, the complicated questions round from Fraser, but let's see if you will survive the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Terrible at rapid fire, Siddharth and I, Roy Kapoor or Priyanka and I have been on so many of these wretched things in the skies being promotion. I never got the hamper. I never. Got the Sorry about that. So, Sheena, we have to prepare a hamper. Did you know? <laughs> we, send, we send her a hamper. Okay, what image comes to your mind when you think of workers' rights? Red. I see red. Mm-hmm. Red stands for me for passion, for anger, and not just the communist flag, but it's passion and anger, and it's blood. It's their blood, sweat, and toil. Wow. 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 You can see you're definitely an artist. Who's your human right hero and why? Che Guevara. He it was such a young person and he rose and and fought in a guerrilla movement uh, because i think it's important to also have revolutionary movement rebel movement dealing with the with the rights of uh, peasants and workers great what animal represents workers rights wow well let me say an uh, animal that is scandalous in our country to even take the name of which is the cow and i'll say the mm. cow because uh, today we're seeing two things one the cow in our country you know is revered and worshiped etc etc but the cow is also so linked to farmers and i feel workers rights for me when i think of an animal and i just think of the high 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 number of farmer suicides in our country and i i i associate cattle with farmers and my heart breaks for those farmers and also in the present time period what we've seen is this cow vigilante groups who go out and who kill people right who are cattle farmers and who kill people who kill muslims Uh, to do and, and that just is it, just something so shocking and horrifying and so therefore i will say the cow 
great answer. We just had Sakit Chowdhury on, and he said a penguin. But that was for social security. <laughs> penguin for social security, because he said they have these really <laughs> complex and lovely family groups. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what film best represents workers' rights? The Latin American film made by Ferdinand Mirello, I think his name is, and I, I can't remember the name, but I think it, it really brilliantly, brilliantly, Hour of the Furnace. Hour mm-hmm. of the Furnace. What makes you enjoy hard work, Shanali? What makes me enjoy hard work? Well, I don't do a jot of the kind of hard work that workers do. I'm a writer and a director. I have a luxury life, I would say. I've not had to go and work from morning to night in a field. I don't know what would happen to me if I had to do that. Like just from morning to night in a factory, uh, in a field. Like this is what the majority of our people do. And I've never had to do that. And people think right. it's hard work because we are washing dishes and doing jharu pocha and writing. Mm. <laughs> this is not hard work. We don't. We've never experienced hard work. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. right. I mean, the thing is, if you had workers' rights, there'd be more artists because all of these people, if they just had some comfort, they'd be able to write, to paint, and make films. Absolutely, and wonderful stuff. Yeah. So, who's the most hardworking person you know, and why do they work so hard? My aunt, Brinda Karat, she is 72 years old right now. She's in the Politburo of the Communist Party of India, Marxist. She's also a women's and tribal workers activist. She, like, it doesn't matter whether, like, I agree with many things of her party, disagree with many things of her party. It doesn't matter to me. I see her from morning to night. She's just out there working. Like, even till we had to just shout and say, like, you're vulnerable, you have to stay home. She was out there distributing food packets before that these riots which were organized in Delhi because of the CAA demonstrations were being shut down and there were riots that were organized in Delhi by political parties and we know who those were, we won't have to get into it. But she was out there going house to house and I was like, but why do you have to personally go? She said, I need to go because it's important that they see secular faces and they understand that India is secular and that it's not just Muslims helping Muslims but that we are out there as secular people out there to make sure that no, it was wrong and you were not killed by some Hindus, and this is a political act. Or when she goes into the remote areas of the country in Jharkhand and all kinds of places to work with tribals, she keeps saying to, to her grandson, my son, Vivan, you've got to do well, Vivan, because you need to raise money for my Adivasis, you know, my Adivasis and their rights. And she's really amazing, takes second-class train journeys and then takes a bus and then goes in just all kinds of far-off places. And I I just am wowed by her and I'm inspired by her from when I was a baby. Like from, That's literally who I am is because of her. I cast her in my film Amu. So this is really to bring in a personal thing there because uh, she was at that time in, in, in the Rajya Sabha and uh, Shabana Azmi was with her in the Rajya Sabha. And without my permission, hello, that's how bossy your family members can be. She goes and gives my script Amu to Shabana and Shabana reads it and she loves it and she says she'll do the work. Of wow. Oh, wow. I, I didn't want Shabana, I wanted my aunt. As in, in the sense, Shabana is brilliant and amazing, but I actually wanted unknown faces. And Kompana uh. at the time was playing uh, Kaju, not well known at the time. She had not come into the Hindi film industry actually yet. She was still from Bengal. And uh, I wanted an unknown face to play her mother. And I knew that my aunt, you know, she had gone to the London School of Drama to study acting. And became a communist there. And so she didn't become an actor. But my mother had always said that she is 
uh, is the most brilliant actor in the family. My mother was a, a theater actor. She died very young. But Amitabh Bachchan and she used to act in college. And he, wow. was, he, was, he used to play the side roles and she had the lead roles. Anyway, so my mother, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. he always laughs about that. And he came when she was dying to Beach Candy and sat with us, etc. So he, he mm. was very good friends with her. But she, my mother said, she is the talented one. And so I cast her in Amu. And Nasiruddin Shah told me after watching the film that that her role, Brinda's role as Kea, is the most brilliant performance by any Indian female actor ever, wow. ever. That's wow. what she said. Wow. wow. Now, that is that she's just like, darling, when will you write a, uh, a role for me? I said, please, you do <laughs> activism. No more being in my movies now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I love it. It's so touching and it's also very inspiring. Yeah. You know, and how things magically work, you yeah. know, when you have a beautiful purpose. Okay, so end of rapid fire. Shanali, last question um, from me. Do you have a message of hope for our listeners in these difficult days? Yeah, one of the things I want to say, which is not to do with workers' rights, but just because of the present time, just as an older, wiser person, a lot of people being stuck in their homes, you, you can get psyched by... Uh, the fear because I think you confront your own mortality and the mortality of those you love at this time and you're alone sort of in that and one of the works that I've done in my life because I lost my mother when I was 21 I lost my 16 year old son when I was 45 I've really done deep work on being at peace with death which is something we can't control that we are all going to die and that is what the sky is pink my last film deals with is that we're all going to die, but we're so in denial of it. We're in complete denial of it. And I think that every day now we all wake up to read how many deaths, right? It's the first thing I'm also interested in. How many deaths in India? How many deaths in the US? Like, can you just never before have you every day woken up and just been reading about deaths? I, and, and I think that while it's scary for young people, one of the things I want to say is that I have such a beautiful, peaceful relationship with death. Because after my son died, I realized and I understood that, that we come into this world just for the time that we have to do whatever we have to do. And when we go, it's our time to go. And so if you think about your life like a marathon, that you're running a marathon, and when you reach the finishing line, you won, you won. So when you die, you've actually won. So that's why I came up with this phrase, death days. And for me, death days are like birthdays. They're beautiful. They're happy. They're actually happy and good things because people, when they go, they actually don't need to be here anymore. Their souls don't need to be in their bodies anymore. And so that, that work, that sort of work is something that when you're just sitting, it may sound morbid to you. It may sound really dark, but I think two pieces of work that can really enlighten and elevate you. One is to come to terms with mortality by not thinking about it as some dark and terrible thing, but thinking about it like winning the marathon. And thinking about it as a happy thing. And the other is to really learn to love and accept yourself. That is something very, very important. Because if you learn to love and accept yourself, you won't feel lonely. And you won't feel that, oh my God, that I'm not with this one. Or my boyfriend can't be with me. Or my girlfriend, this one can't be with me and I'm alone. Because if you learn to love and accept yourself, if you are your own best friend, I am having the happiest COVID time. I feel guilty for it because I know people are suffering like workers, but I'm addressing the middle and upper class now who have no reason really to suffer. Right? There is no reason for you to suffer. There is no reason for you to feel sad. Do whatever you can to help other people, but in your own space, like in your own little home, 
what you're doing with your thoughts. It is in your power, babe. It's in your power. You can be <laughs> happy. And I listen to happy music and I dance by myself. Like I have a party every night with myself. Like I kid you, my favorite songs is LA Woman. And I just dance madly to LA Woman. And I feel Great. happy. You know, or I work out and I feel happy. And I think to the middle and upper classes who are the ones who can only listen to this, right? Only those of privilege can listen to this. I need to tell you that, that you find this COVID time, this time of isolation as a precious time when you don't have to commute, when you don't have to just go out there and deal with other people's energies. Just build the, your harmony with your own self, harmony in your own home. That's what wow. That's a beautiful message. You're so inspiring. I love it. That is such a beautiful perspective. Now, Fraser has my favorite question of the day, Fraser. Shanali, what would life be like if workers' rights were 100% followed? Oh, we wouldn't have the kinds of oppression and hunger and, and starvation and death that we see. That is in the millions and the millions. Like we would have, you know, when if right to livelihood and the right to a decent pay and the right to decent hours and all those things that uh, Sheena wonderfully articulated through this interview, all, all those things were enshrined. Like we would have a humane society. Wow. So let's keep that picture in our mind, that exact picture that Shanali painted. I'm going to be happily with you, Shanali, on that. And hopefully you will be with us. Well, Shanali, we have been talking about work, but this has not been hard work. For me, it's been nothing but a pleasure. And I'm still left enriched. And I'm sure that our audience is also going to be enriched. If only all the work was like that, little effort and maximum reward, maybe that's the Shanali Bose effect. So we can only hope by adding to your work in calling for workers' rights that we help spread your effect to the rest of the country thank you sheena thank you fraser i really enjoyed the interview great thank you shanali thank you sheena too i'd like to end by letting you know united for human rights provides free online human rights courses as well as delivers free curriculums to any school or university in the world please go to humanrights.com and start a course and tell any school or university you know to order a free curriculum it's been so inspiring to hear Shanali's stories, but now we want to hear yours. Please record a maximum 90-second video with stories of your point of view, struggles and successes to do with workers' rights, and we'll upload them on our YouTube channel. And send us your workers' rights artworks, drawings, poems, paintings, etc. We're running a contest to show our favorite chosen stories and artworks on the screen at the United Nations in New York next year. Email your videos and art to Fraser at humanrights.com. That's F-R-A-S-E-R -S at humanrights.com. Lastly, if you want to help spread awareness of basic rights and equality, get in touch. We need all the help we can get. Thank you again, Shanali Bose, for your inspiring words. Take care, stay safe. Human rights define the word equality. If we don't respect and love each other, we're just living a lie. Because united starts with you and I, you feel me?
conquer, free to prance. Know what I'm saying? Gotta keep it together, no matter how bad the weather. It will be alright, keep it tight, cause we all got our freedom rights every day, from the night to the broad daylight. discriminate, learn to appreciate, so you don't have to imitate, don't be the one to hate, it's never too late, you got the right to life, innocent to prove the guilty, you can say what you like, gotta get the education, don't throw it away, know your human rights, cause it can help you someday. इस हब हॉपर ओरिजिनल को सुनने के लिए आपका शुक्रिया अगर आप भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करना चाहते हैं तो हब हॉपर स्टूडियो वेबसाइट पे रजिस्टर करें और एक मिनट के अंदर अंदर अपना खुद का पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करें यही नहीं स्टूडियो देता है आपको पूरी आजादी कहीं भी कभी भी अपना पॉडकास्ट लॉन्च करने की सिर्फ तीन आसान स्टेप्स में तो साथ में अपना पॉडकास्ट शुरू करने के लिए तैयार जस्ट हॉप ऑन हब हॉपर सिंपली कॉन्टेंट